Hi there, I'm Pastor Rod Parsley, and I sure want to thank you for listening to today's podcast. I'm the senior pastor of World Harvest Church, where we love God and love people, and I hope you'll be inspired by today's message. Now, for more great content and lots of updates, I'd love to connect with you online at rodparsley.com. But right now, let's head into today's episode. start off tonight with Alexander McLaren. Alexander McLaren said these words, the cross is the center of the world's history. The cross is the pivot round which all the events of the ages revolve. The cross is that God's fulcrum of God's grand and glorious lever which was 4,000 years in the crafting by which God Almighty, pride of fallen, destitute, depraved, and dying world out of the unyielding, unrelenting hands of Satan, Lucifer, the Antichrist. It is at this cross where God used two cross beams at an intersection to become the crowbar to not only loose you from Satan's grasp, but to beat him over the head while he did it. Shout, the devil is defeated. Now the most important intersection in all of human history is not that intersection that has the most traffic, not the most uh, automobile or pedestrian or bicycle or motorcycle traffic. Uh, The greatest intersection in the world is this intersection of two rough-hewn wooden beams that sit atop a skull-shaped hill outside a garbage dump just beyond the city walls of a troubled backwater province on the periphery of the vast Roman Empire. At the center of this cosmic crossroads hangs a solitary figure, the son of the living God, the prince of heaven, abandoned in a prison of loneliness, abandoned with only silence for a cellmate. His closest friends have now fled in terror. You pick up your cross It will divide your friends from your homies. It will divide. It will divide those who love you from those who lust you. Oh, there were many that lusted him. The crowds thronged him. Woman with an issue of blood. Your Bible said had to force her way with every last ounce of strength that she had, eating dust as she went. She had to get to get to get. She had to get to Jesus with her last ounce of strength. But she had to push through that crowd. Why the crowds became so vast 
that Zacchaeus, the tax collector, had to climb up in the top of a sycamore tree just to gain a glimpse of him. Oh, they wanted him to multiply their loaves and fish. I'm talking. I know I'm talking to somebody right now that comes to the cross for the wrong reason. They, they thronged him as long, uh, Pastor Ramirez, as he was multiplying their loaves and uh, fishes. He, they thronged him as long as he was healing their diseases. They thronged him as long as they were taking up 12 basketfuls as the remnant of his blessing after he fed five thousand of them with absolutely nothing. There are a whole lot of folk that go to church for a whole lot of reasons that are not the right reason. I come to preach them. They wouldn't leave him alone. They wanted him to do a reality show. The prophet of Nazareth. I don't think it would have gotten many ratings. But then, then, here, the throngs have all dissipated. Don't think that because the crowd seems to have turned its on you. That you are somehow out of the will of God. Allow him, if you will, Gideon, to thin the herd. Cull the herd. They've all gone now. They all scurried home, bolted the door in fear and terror. Never has a person ever been so alone, so abandoned, as was Jesus the Christ on the day that he felt the hateful and mean bite of this ugly, rugged tree. The mighty rev revivalist, one of my favorite preachers of all time. I don't listen to contemporary preachers. I found they don't have a whole lot to say. But G. Campbell Morgan, he, he had a lot to say. He said, listen to me now. It is impossible to follow the Lord into the place of his mightiest work. Alone, he entered. I'm just going to say a thing. If you find it uncomfortable to be alone, there's something wrong. Okay, that went over real big, especially among Valor Christian College students who can't spend 30 seconds alone. Because when you're alone, you become quiet. And when you become quiet, you begin to hear him. And sometimes you would prefer to drown him out. I'm preaching. Me and G. Campbell. I'm going to see which one of these hundred or so churches watching tonight shout the loudest. And mine better not be left out. One, two, three, shout now.
y'all preach tonight. Now, y'all pastors, if you need to let them go, just shut me off and let them go because I feel a preach coming. I'm going to start over with G. Campbell here. It is impossible to follow the Lord into the place of his mightiest work. Sometimes I need to get away from you. You trouble me. You hinder me. You hang on to me. Sometimes to fight the battle that I must fight. You congregations hear me. You leave that preacher alone. You let him have some alone time. You mind the tables yourself. You fix the sanctuary yourself. You take care of the widows and orphans yourself. Let him be alone. It is impossible to follow the Lord into the place of his mightiest work. Alone he entered. No man could follow him, not in help. No man could be sympathetic to him. No man could even begin to scratch the surface of understanding of the mystery that was going on in that tree. Fallen man was degraded in will, degraded in emotion degraded in intelligence and therefore was not able to help. I wish I had 30 minutes right there. I need to tell you, he does not need your help. If you attempt to help him save you, You have nullified the work that he did. When he lifts you up out of the miry clay, it must be at a dead lift. It must be all him and not you. Here's why. Christ came to save the ungodly. I don't have 30 minutes. Was not able to help, was not able to sympathize or understand. From that inner mystery, therefore, man was excluded. The witnesses of the crucifixion of Jesus witnessed some very, very amazing things. They perceived remarkable things. The human eyes see three men being executed in the cruelest and vilest form that the Romans could devise. But in the invisible realm, in the spirit realm, oh God, there was a battle raging. The battle, the warfare of the ages reached a climax as Jesus, the Son of God, hangs writhing in his own blood, bolted to this brutal beam at the intersection where heaven meets earth. Calvary's cross is the place where the furious love of God encounters our broken and shattered hearts. Never before, never since. 
Has the love of God Almighty been on such open display as it was on that day? Words fail, the intellect staggers, more so the heart begins to question. Does God love me? John Newhouse wrote it this way. All of the theories of atonement are but probings into the mysteries of a love that did not have to be but was and is. Spurgeon said it this way. Come, believer. Come with me. Spurgeon. Come, believer. Contemplate this sublime truth thus proclaimed to you in simple monosyllables, so simple that a fool need not err therein. Shall we shout it together? Those, those simple, single syllable words. Are you with me? He laid down his life for us. He. This is the unfailing, this is the unfaltering, unimaginable love of our Father expressed through the supreme gift of His only begotten Son nailed by tempered spikes through tortured skin into splintered wood, bolted there with welcoming arms outstretched announcing, do I love you? See Him here. Does he love you? Yes! Yes! A billion times! Yes! If you've had three abortions, yes. If you drove her to the abortions, yes. If you can't stay away from the bottle, yes. If you're indecent and undone, if you're unlovely, if you're broken, if you're tormented, if you're tried, if you're diseased, if you're destitute, if everybody else has turned you away, will you hear him shout to you, I love you a billion times. I love you. I loved you yesterday. I love you today. I'll still be loving you forever through every storm, through every tempest, through every struggle, through every temptation. I love you in life and living. I will love you in death and dying. How much? I will not leave you on earth without me, nor will I stay in heaven without you. I will meet you and I will join myself together with you again. I set up a meeting place at a cosmic crossroads, and I'll be waiting here until you are able to 
to come to the end of yourself and as the prodigal son shake yourself and in your debauchery and in your devilish scheming and in your lying and in your in 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 your infidelity I will wait here on you until you like that prodigal say to yourself self what am I doing here there's room at the cross for me meet you at this intersection and we will never ever be separated again what a thought what a revelation what a triumph the living Christ of Calvary demonstrated his love by his incarnation. Think about it. By forsaking everything that was in heaven to trudge through the mud and through the muck and through the mire of this cursed We often say when folks pass from this world, I, I know we said it around my precious father's casket. Well, if he could leave where he is and come back here, he wouldn't. We often say, well, they decided to go on to heaven. We said that about my sister. Well, she got such a glimpse of the other side that she just decided to go on to a better place. But not him, you understand. He did not die to live, he lived to die. He did not leave earth for heaven. He left heaven for this filthy, depraved, blue marble spinning graveyard of a planet. And you, its chief caretaker. He laid aside his regal robes and he picked up swaddling clothes, an infant born in a barn because after all, that's where a lamb ought to be born. Neither deity humanized nor humanity deified. All God, all man, son of man, son of God, with authority in one hand and anointing on the other. Have you all quit me now? Okay. So he proved his love by his incarnation. Then he proved his love by his associates. I, I like this one. <laughs> the old folk used to say, if it looked like a duck, quacks like a duck, waddles like a duck, Flies like a duck, floats like a duck. Chances are pretty good it's not a giraffe. It, what is it? It's a duck. You can know what kind of bird it is by the kind of birds it decides to hang out with. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you right now? 
Let me tell you this way, the religious crowd hated him and they will hate you as well. Stop trying to be the friend of the world. And quite frankly, I could be the friend of the biggest drunkard, prostitute, druggie, liar on the planet. Easier than I could be friends with most preachers. It's that religious bunch that nobody can tolerate. He proved his love by his association. He had a habit of dining with all the wrong people. He allowed adulteresses. Boy, that'd be a scandal, wouldn't it? Y'all go downtown Columbus and I'm sitting down there at the fountain with a hooker washing my feet. Get my feet. I wore my good shoes. Scandal. That cross is a scandal. The Jesus I serve was scandalous. Not because he wanted what she had. Here's the difference between him and modern preachers. Modern preachers won her dime bag of coke and her scantily clad body. Flip that thing over. That situation was, I'll bathe his feet with my tears and I will wipe them dry with my hair. Boy, that would went over big in most church boards, wouldn't it? Pastor Rod downtown letting hookers wash his feet. Every morning, he awakened and he waded out neck deep into the unwashed and the indecent. Why do you get so quiet all of a sudden? Oh, I know, because you're so holy now. You forget who you were before he watched you in the cleansing You all spiritually grown up now, enough to have that old critical religious spirit all over you. He waded out into the broken, into the hurting. He ran headlong into the disconnected and the disenfranchised. He did not shrink back in horror at our repulsive evil, nor at our malignant wickedness. No, 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 he runs with arms outstretched to the disconnected. This is how much and how he so loved us. Come on, Zacchaeus. I'm coming to your house today. I don't need to go have dinner with pastor. I'm gonna go take a homeless person to lunch. I'm gonna find me a crackhead. You're not shouting now. Because you need the next half of my sermon. I said, you're not shouting yet. He proved his love for us by his proclamation. What, what, what am I talking about? Yeah. God forbid that I 
should sin against him, Samuel said, by failing to pray for you. He, 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 doctor, he prayed. You know why we don't love this cross? Because we don't believe we were polluted enough to need it. We think it was everybody else's filth, everybody else's debauchery, everybody else's evil, everybody else's fornication, everybody else's adultery. I had a good friend spent a year and a half in solitary confinement in a cell five feet by five feet. He beat that cell with his fists and they gave him no medical attention and his hands were permanently deformed because his bones froze in that broken state. And when he came out of there, he came out of there a preacher and he began to proclaim, I don't even like church people. They look down their nose at me simply because I did what they all thought. Don't shout me down now. Don't shout me down then, or then you'll be acting like you need this. He made our hope his purpose. Every message that he spoke brought light to a darkened world and a deadened heart. He told us about lost sheep and about lost coins and about lost sons. His words were an allegory illustrating our hopelessness, our helplessness, our desperate condition, and his determination to find us and to restore us through his blood to righteousness. Give him praise and give him. No, give him praise. Worthy and do his name. His unfaltering, his relentless love was proven beyond all question. Here we go. By his crucifixion, can you see him? There he hangs, pale and pallid, bloodletting by which the very veins of God himself were emptied with every red rivulet of shimmering crimson blood that runs freely down his naked side and drips off his toes into bloody pools upon the earth. He's saying, I'm doing this. Because I love you. Calvary's cross is the place where God's ultimate triumph intersects with Lucifer's consummate demise. In fact, Jesus' death, his resurrection represent God's victorious checkmate of Satan in a cosmic chess match that had been thousands of years in the playing. Satan became intoxicated on his own lie. He watched as the Son of God cried, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He hissed as demon hordes clapped fettered hands. 
and intoxicated upon his own lie. When they rolled the body of Jesus in those grave clothes and slid him in that borrowed tomb and sealed it shut, Satan shouted, Check! But two, two sun rises later. Somebody shout, two sunrises. Just, just, just two, it didn't take long. Just two sunrises later. Shove somebody and tell them it, it won't take long. Hold on now. Just two sunrises later and the angel, and angels shouted and the earth shook. Just two sunrises later, the stone was rolled away and God's promised seed emerged in splendor and glory with the keys of death, of hell and the grave locked to his girdle. Somebody shout! I was on an interview the other day on about 350 radio stations and they said, well, Pastor Rod, we appreciate your book about the cross, but what about the resurrection? I said, sounds like another book. The next one I'm going to write on the blood and the resurrection. And the next one I'm going to write is on the rapture and the second coming. Let me see where I want to go. Shout a minute. Yeah. Yeah, I got to I got to get this one in. John 15:13. Jesus said, "Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends." Point up here to this tree and say, "There's a cross up here." Come on, shout, there's a cross up there. Think about Calvary and shout, there's a cross up there. But I need you to understand there's a cross down here. There's a cross down here. How do I know? Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, here you go. Those of you that absolutely, positively do not have one ounce of grace of forgiveness in your so-called sanctified body. You just can't let go. You do not know this cross. I dare you. I dare you to shout. There's a cross. Watch me. Down here. There's a cross. Down here. If any man would follow me, let him deny himself. Pick up his cross. Daily. 
if the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, if his mercies never come to an end for you, it will be for one reason. You pick up your cross daily. You deny yourself. You love your neighbor as yourself. You prefer everybody in front of you. Shout, there's a cross down here. Oh God, I want to preach. Why do you, why do you expect me to preach two chapters in 40 minutes? Am I helping you? That's not the only cross. The church has forgotten. The church has forgotten. I'm going to say it. What I'm about to say will be worth the price of admission. You ready? The church has forgotten. When you stand praying, forgive. For if you forgive not, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you. The audacity the flying in the face of every drop of his blood of unforgiveness is unimaginable. The church has forgotten. Okay, now I'm going to say this. It's in the book, but I'm going to say it. The church has forgotten humility. We are full of pride and arrogance. We are full of an I don't care attitude. Where Paul the Apostle said, if it offends my brother if I eat meat, I'm not going to be eating meat. You know what our generation of the church says? Ain't nobody telling me what I can eat. I wish I could do that. Don't be putting your... Word on me. I'm free. You're free to do right. Well, my wife's hair is too short. I think I'll get rid of her and get me another one because God wants me happy. God don't care nothing about you being happy. You can be happy when you get to heaven. That's what he made heaven for. God don't care nothing about you being happy. God wants you to be holy. And if you're holy, you'll have joy, and which is way better than happiness. I need somebody to shout up in here right now. Come on. Are you doing all right? We have lost sight of the truth shouted from the top of Calvary's mountain by a battered and a bleeding man with a sign above his head reading, King. He didn't prove it by what kind of car he drove. Oh, you quiet on me now. He didn't prove it by who tailored his suits. He didn't prove it by what kind of house he lived in. He didn't prove it by how much money he had in the bank or what professional athlete he hung out with.
It is a shame, a shame and an indictment upon the body of Christ that the lifestyles of so-called preachers becomes entertainment father. Oh, don't shout me down now. Send me your letters. I'm looking for something to read. I need a little more preaching material. I need to let you know, you didn't buy my suit. You didn't buy my car. No, sir. You didn't buy my house. You didn't buy the watch on my wrist. I'm going to leave it at that. Because I got some other stuff I want to say. Here are some... Here are some questions that have to be answered. How did the Lamb of God make the ultimate sacrifice? How did Jesus die? What did he experience? Why did he have to experience it? Couldn't he have died some other way and still have satisfied divine justice? Crucifixion did not begin with the Romans as a means of execution. Look, if you wanted somebody to die, there are far less intensive, difficult ways to do it. This was not created to be a form of execution. This was created to be a form of punishment, an exhibition, a first century version of shock and awe. This was used by the Romans to put down insurrection. This was used by the Romans to be a spectacle. This was used by the Romans to be a deterrent to anyone who would lift their hand or raise their voice against the mighty Roman Empire was created for slaves. A slave would have a wooden crossbeam placed upon their shoulders, their arms strapped to it, and then forced to march through the city streets with people mocking them. Of course, someone finally surmised that if a little bit of shock and awe was good, a whole lot would be better. So enter the flagellum, the cat of nine tails, whistling through the acrid air, while a hundred thousand lambs are being slaughtered and their blood wafts down through the Kidron Valley. It was a very unique instrument. It, it had seven strands of leather. Embedded in it were small stones or round pieces of iron. 
those made to bruise the flesh, to mm, tenderize, if you will. At the very ends, pieces of sheep bone file down to the sharpness of an eagle's claw so that the body would be bruised and hemorrhaged inside and then those claws take hold like flesh hooks, not in those neat little stripes, you know, three lines of red intended to take a hold of the flesh and rip it and tear it. And those professional lictors who were professional at their ghastly art were never satisfied until the lungs were exposed so that the crowds could watch the exposed organs. There were four kinds of crosses. There was a, a tree until history tells us that in Palestine, the Romans had crucified so many people that there were no trees left. There was a pole, just a straight pole with the hands suspended above and nailed. There was what is referred to as a high towel. A high towel. No, that's a low towel. The crossbar going just to the top of the top bar of the, of the straight vertical pole like a capital T and then a high tau cross where the pole or the vertical beam extended just above the crossbar. When they would swing the victim up in the air, the first thing that would happen as they stretched him upon that cross and as they nailed him with five inch spikes through his wrists, then the crossbar would be pulled with ropes and pulleys with the body suspended upon it. And when that crossbar fell into its place, the shoulders would rip out of their shoulder sockets. There, the Son of God dangled like a helpless lamb led to slaughter. Then there was a misunderstanding for 2,000 years about crucifixion. It wasn't until 1968 that the first geological excavation which uncovered a historical artifact, geological, if you will, evidence 
archaeological evidence that any person had ever been crucified in the history of the world. Did you hear what I just told you? Over 2,000 years with all of the excavations and not one shred, not one shred of archaeological evidence that anyone had ever been crucified until 1968. They uncovered an ossuary. A young man approximately 25 years of age from a very wealthy family with a cleft palate by the name of Johannan, son of Hagakal. When they opened up his ossuary, there lay his bones. And they discovered that piece of archaeological evidence on the right. That's a four and a half inch Roman iron spike driven through the thickest part of the heel bone. Everybody shout heel bone of the young man, Johannan, Johannan, who would have been alive during the time of the crucifixion of our Lord. So he was nailed, you understand, with one leg on either side of the cross, sideways. So I have to disagree with the songwriters. There were not three rusty nails. There were four. Why? Because without those nails on the side, the curse would have never been broken. Your Bible is an amazing book. And science will eventually catch up with every discrepancy that she feels she uncovers if you just give the Bible long enough. Jesus was not crucified with his feet one upon the other. He would have died within minutes and the Romans were not interested in any quick deaths. Genesis chapter three. Genesis chapter three. I don't know if we have a screen. I will put enmity, God, between your seed and the seed of the woman, Satan. He will crush your head, but you will bruise not his feet. Now we're talking four to six thousand years. Pastor Rod, why a cross? Why a cross? Because if they had hanged him, his heel would not have been bruised. If they had thrust him through with a sword, his heel would not have been bruised. I need to tell you tonight that not one dotted I, not one cross T of the word of the living God will fall to the ground void of power. It will accomplish that which he sent it to do. That Bible is still the best-selling book of the ages because it is accurate in its predictions. Get ready to shout. 
It was in that garden that the curse came upon humanity. Did you hear what I said? It was in that garden that the curse was released upon the human family. And not only the human family, but the very earth that they inhabited. God cursed the whole thing. He said this ground will bring forth thorns and thistles. And by the sweat of your brow and the brawn of your back, you will eat the fruit thereof. But I've got news for you. When he shouted, it is finished. And when they plaited that crown of thorns and they thrust it into that hemorrhaging forehead and those those thorns were baptized in his precious blood he broke the curse of poverty on when they nailed those nails with that hammer and anvil into his heels. Your Bible shouted through the words of the Apostle Paul, he has redeemed us from the curse, for it is written, cursed is not anyone that gets stabbed to death or strangled to death or run through with a sword. Cursed is everyone that hangs upon a tree. Here, he broke the curse. Here, you become blessed coming in and blessed going out. I wish I had somebody to shout, I know you're tired. Right here, right here, he broke the curse of poverty. Right here, he broke the back of sickness. Every pain, every malady, every malfunction, every infirmity, every disease, I adjure you by the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. I command you now, be healed from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. I loose financial prosperity upon you. I rebuke the curse of recession from you. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.